Hey, Nora. Hey, Sandy. How are you? It's been so long. We're back. Welcome back. Welcome back. The people, they have missed us. I've gotten so many messages from people being like, uh, <laughs> you guys, it's been like a month. And it's like, yeah, I know. And that is the same amount of vacation time your employers should be giving you. Okay? That's right. That, that is reasonable to be... <laughs> To take a month off, but fear not. Nora and I still had communication with one another during that time. Mm-hmm. How am I? Let me tell you how I am. Nora, I got the Rona. <laughs> no. <laughs> uh, yes, I did. And I do. Like, I have it right now as we speak. As many of you might hear, my voice may sound a little bit different than it normally does. And you might notice that I sound a little bit congested. It is because, yes, I have gotten um, COVID-19, and let me tell you that it is not a walk in the park, but I am very grateful to have uh, been able to be boosted uh, at the point that I did uh, contract this. And, you know, like many of you who listen, I live in an apartment building, and that can make things a little bit more risky. And so in in a town like LA where the last time I checked it was like 45,000 new cases a day like who knows if you can even count properly when it's that high I I knew that I was going to probably uh be in contact with somebody at some point in this building that that has uh you know that is contagious and so here I am uh, with with the Rona uh, it's a good time to start reading your book <laughs> So oh, is that it? That's <laughs> that's that's what I'm planning on starting this week. I feel like it's a bad time to read <laughs> maybe. it. Maybe. <laughs> maybe it'll give me some sense of the catharsis. Oh uh, yes. Maybe not. Who knows? We'll see. Yes, yes. How are you? Uh well, I I'm good. I I didn't get COVID uh yet. Um but the kids will be in school this week and so who knows? Maybe they'll bring it home. That's uh highly possible. <laughs> but, you know, fingers fingers crossed, but um but it has been a really good break. I mean, not that Sandy Nora takes up too much of our time, but it is a lot of time to record and then edit and then re-listen and then post and then make sure that we're on top of everything. And as many of you know, sometimes we're not on top of stuff. <laughs> um, and so thank you for the patience you all uh, displayed in waiting for us. Although, I mean, what the fuck, like... That you know, choice. But um, I did slip in episodes of my other podcast. And so I hope that um, people liked it. I mean, we didn't get any complaints. So I'll take that as a win. And <laughs> that was an interesting experiment and in labor of love. And if you're curious to hear all of the episodes, because we only aired four, you can check all of them out uh, by uh, going to the Harbinger Media Network and looking for Take Back the Fight. Um, and so I hope, you know, we kept the we kept the airwaves warm. I kept the airwaves warm while Sandy was gone, and um, but now we're back. And what better way to start 2022 than to start it like I believe we started 2021 and then March 2020? <laughs> ah, yes. Um, this is so familiar now. But, you know, I, I there's two things that I want to say about the fact that we are where we were. Um, one, my prediction was right. Um, that feels good. That always yes. feels good. So again, listen to Sandy and Nora. Um, we're good at making predictions, political predict- predictions. But 
Two, also, the other thing that I want to say is uh, many of you who are listeners, I have, you know, I, I'm not very uh, responsive on social media for all sorts of reasons. I'm sorry. It's it's not because I hate anyone. It's just like eh, social media. But I do look at the sorts of things that you folks are up to, the sorts of criticisms that you folks are making, um, the sorts of efforts that you all are making in your own communities to try to mitigate um, the impact that this moment in time is having on each of us. And I just want to say, hey, Happy New Year. And I'm really grateful um, that we get to, in some way, spend time with one another and think about all of these crucial um, situations that are uh, impacting our lives and think deeply about how we want to tackle them. Mm. So sending you all a lot of gratitude. Oh, yeah, I totally echo that gratitude. That was really great. Thanks for saying that. We have some folks to thank before we dive right into this. And so I'm just going to go ahead and do this. And um, sorry, everybody, but there's uh, there's some names here. Um, so thank you so, so much to everybody who's donated for the first time or who changed their donation. And I would especially like to thank Matt, Olas, Siobhan, Peter, Rachel, Arlie, Nicole, Brian, D, T, and Jennifer, thank you all so, so much. Yes, thank you. Thank you so much. Um, for anyone who's new here, we thank everybody who helps to contribute to the podcast through our Patreon at the top of the show. So thank you all who have done that. And uh, if you're considering, if you like the show, feel free to check out our Patreon. Okay, so what should we talk about today? I mean, I feel like... I feel like I'm looking around and I'm like, you know, trying to breathe. And I feel like COVID is is the topic. Once again, Nora, <laughs> um, we're in year three, wave five for where I'm at anyway. I don't know. Some places might be wave four. Yeah. But can I tell you what the weirdest thing about this experience of getting this uh, disease has been? Uh, I was trying to think of something funny, but... Mm. I mean, there's plenty of funny things you could say if you guess symptoms, but please do not. Um, <laughs> I will say that the weirdest thing is that in year three, wave five, I've tested positive and didn't get any information from any government or public health source about what to do next. What? And that to me is absolutely stunning. I hope things are different in different jurisdictions, but it is stunning to me and such a massive public health failure that if you test positive, you don't, along with your positive result, get resources as to what to do if your symptoms worsen. At what point can you leave your home? What should you be doing in terms of your work, notifications that you need to make to an another public health authority, anything. Oh I God. thought that I was going to get some sort of contact tracing call. And I mean, if I was supposed to get it, it's been over a week and some change. I don't think they're doing them anymore where I'm at. And I just think, wow, Year three, wave five, you would have thought, you know, you're sending an email to me anyway that says I'm positive. Just tack on some information <laughs> to that email. In fact, you don't even need to make it specific 
to whether somebody has tested positive or negative. Maybe that programming is just a little bit too hard. Just give the info to everyone. Just mm. You get the result. Here is some information from public health as to what you should do if your result is positive, if your result is negative, what it means, and what steps you should take next. But in a pandemic where so much of the responsibility has been placed on the shoulders of individuals, like what a, a stunning failure. Um, I just thought, this is the weirdest thing. This is, if I was in charge, this would be the simplest thing <laughs> yeah. that would be mandated. Yeah. Well, I guess partly it's probably because there's like literally nothing the state is going to do for you. So like, what the hell do they care if you like contract trace or need help or have questions? Because the answers are like, just Google them. <laughs> yeah. Go figure it out. Now, there is one thing mm. the state is doing uh, for those of us who are in the United States um, that starts tomorrow, not tomorrow, that starts this week. And that is um, they're mailing every household that requests one um, rapid tests. Yes, I saw that. Mm-hmm. Canada, too, right? <laughs> No, 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 no. Um, so, like, it has been so fascinating to watch how unprepared for this wave everything was. And in the place of being unprepared, we were just all told to get very scared. And you can see the impact that that has on the population in general. And, like, the biggest impact, I mean, not the biggest impact, there's impacts of, of anxiety and of people feeling uh, hopelessness and all this kind of thing. But one of the big impacts is that it completely disorients people towards understanding which way is fucking up and who (laughs) we should be directing our frustrations to and what we should be demanding. And instead, um, this like constant reminding of us to be afraid and be afraid and be afraid, uh, it kind of serves like to put us all into a big brown paper bag. And we're just like punching at the bag walls being like, oh, what? I don't remember this bag being here before. What what the hell's going on? Rather than being able to go, wait a minute, they've just put us into a bag and mm, I, I, I know I know what they're doing here. And so we're, again, as you said, told that, you know, this is your fault. This is your responsibility. You can keep yourself safe, blah, blah, blah. And, and yet the sources of spread that are most significant, those large congregate work environments, those apartment buildings with airflow that isn't being cleaned, the communities that have been hit the hardest from the beginning, all of these locations, there's literally nothing that has been done to mitigate spread. And instead, it's just been the anxiety has been ramping up and ramping up and ramping up. And um, I'm sure, I'm sure that Justin Trudeau is at, you know, at his desk all the time doing work, staring at the population going, yes, yes, this is very useful. Yes. Do what you think, Sandy, he's like at work right now and doing that kind of like looking at us going, yes, this makes, this makes my job easier. (laughs) I find it hard to imagine that he sits at his desk at any time, but I mean, maybe. (laughs) (laughs) No, exactly. He's not, he's, 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 he's nowhere. So, and we'll, we'll talk about that, but it's a really (laughs) interesting moment um, from the perspective of someone just like sitting back and looking at the world. But when you're in the world and living it, it's a, it's a terrifying moment. And I don't know if any of us really guessed that we would be in a terrifying moment almost two years after the first terrifying moment of this pandemic. Yeah, you know, I I had my doubts, my skepticisms. I mean, if you go back 
uh, through our old episodes, I'm sure you'll you'll hear them, that the government would do the right thing. But I didn't know that they would go so hard in doing the wrong things, which is almost <laughs> nothing. And um, that's really frustrating. I have seen uh, a couple of um, responses to you, actually, online that really concern me. Um, people who uh, respond to your... Uh, very well articulated and sometimes hilariously articulated frustration with the government. People saying, well, what do you expect them to do? What do you really think they can do? And I think that's a troubling question to me because it it just means that we have um, no idea what it is that um, the, the government is supposed to do. But let's dive into that. Sure. Um, to me, one of the most important things that you revealed on Twitter recently, I'm sure it's in your book, you talked about it when you um, guest uh, hosted Canada Land, is the fact that the Canadian um, health system was already at its brink at the time that the pandemic started. And so what that tells us is that there are things that the government could have done, making sure that there are more beds, that we have the requisite amount of healthcare providers that we need for the population that we have, for the aging population that we have, and so on. Um, but those are um, things they would have had to do uh, uh, some years ago to, to make sure that we were in a good place should a pandemic ever hit us. And this is not the first, remember, um, uh, in Canada in recent times. Both SARS and the HIV epidemic are all are, are both times in which these sorts of things could have been rectified. But in fact, after mm. both of those pandemics, these situations got worse. But even if we had started with trying to do the right thing and correct for some of these deficiencies at the beginning of the pandemic, we could have done things like try to start building new hospitals in places where we know are more remote. We could have made education free for healthcare providers. We would have had a whole new crop of nurses had we done that right now. And if we had expanded um, enrollment uh, for nursing at the beginning of the pandemic, we could have done so many things that we hemmed and hawed and banked on, hopefully this will just be over. Well, it's not over. And it's not too late to try to start any of those things. Because guess what? If it's going to be good during a pandemic, it's going to be good after a pandemic and before the next pandemic. So why not just do it? Instead of tweeting every once in a while, make sure you get your shot. And blaming the, this surge in the pandemic on people who are not vaccinated, which seems to be um, where the government is at right now, which is hilarious in a country where, what are, what's Canada at, like 79% or something like that? It's like, get it together. Oh, no, more than that. Sorry, I meant to say <laughs> 89%, I think. But in any case, yeah. I'm delirious. I've got COVID, Nora. <laughs> 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 it's very high. Um, and yeah, I know every time I see Justin Trudeau telling us to get our boosters, it's like, guy, I'm trying. <laughs> like, I'm I'm still not boosted. 
Um, and the only good news about that is that I did get my second dose like kind of later in relation to other people in this country. Um, so, I mean, it's coming, it's coming, but Quebec was very fucking slow on this. No, we, we have gone over all of these issues over the last two years. It's very, very clear that there are solutions, um, and that there's no desire to implement anything. There's no desire to, you know, give people the food that they need when they're quarantined or to send people, I don't know, fucking Tylenol or something like who cares? Like just do something to show that you care. You started off uh, that the question before asking about the, you know, rapid tests and, and whether or not we're getting rapid tests in, um, you know, mailed to us. And like, unbelievably, that has elicited a discussion about whether or not like the federal government even has the constitutional right to send rapid tests because it's a healthcare thing, which is like ridiculous. And the answer is yes, of course, they can fucking send rapid tests if they wanted to. Um, now, you know, in Quebec, we, we have been given rapid tests, like the pharmacies now have them and you can go and you get, you get it like a prescription, which is amazing. Cause then the prescription advice is like a YouTube link and it literally says in the prescription text, like visit YouTube. And it's like, why is this in English? This is so weird, <laughs> but okay. Thank you. Um, and we're supposed to get them in schools, but of course, uh, you know, just like, uh, everywhere else in Canada, PCR testing has collapsed. And so, yes, they're still doing 43,000 PCR tests um, a day in the province, but you have to be a specific person to be able to get them. And that's shitty. So in Quebec, that that includes um, slaughterhouse workers. It, it doesn't include a lot of people. I'm not on, on, the, on the list, but it includes slaughterhouse workers, which is interesting because in Alberta, those workers do not have access to rapid testing and the high level Cargill plant one where three workers died in the first wave in 2020 are back in outbreak. And that the, the factory is still open and there's 40 cases and Cargill still refuses to say that there's a connection. Like we are literally living through all of the exact fucking same things. And the problem is that Omicron, the, the reporting about Omicron took all of the place of what happens when all of these things come to pass. Like, oh, you're saying that this is going to tear through the population. The reasonable next question is what is the contingency plan when everyone's sick? Not when everyone's close to death or not when everyone's hospitalized, but just sick and they can't get out of bed or they can't go to work or they're isolating. Like not even that level of conversation we can have, let alone where outbreaks are actually happening in terms of workplaces, let alone any kind of contract tracing. And, and you know, and so this is just this so this incredible pessimism among people and, and like for obviously good reason. But I want to talk a little bit about this because the the pessimism is also self-defeating too because the the government as you said earlier has attached itself to this is all going to end really soon which is the message that you know you can look up uh, when is this going to end soon in in the mainstream media in Canada you'll find like an article per month in the last fucking 21 months um and so and and they've used this to have the like this lock on optimism whereas we're all fucking stuck in like our our shit being like uh everything sucks and and all we have like available to us is pessimism because everything does suck um but we have to be careful to not allow those in power to own optimism because i'm also seeing that when people do express optimistic thoughts or optimistic positions that it's automatically coded as being well you're supporting government inaction which is basically genocidal 
um, you know, so I'm trying to find this balance between being very realistic and importantly pessimistic and fuck, I'm like a pessimist. So I am like there, <laughs> but also recognizing that like, it's not super healthy for us to be always living in this, like, oh my God, kind of moment. And then analyzing, okay, so what can we do? Like what kind of power do we have in our own lives or in our workplaces or maybe we've got some sort of position in an NGO or fuck I don't fucking know to actually start taking power back because that is really what's been missing is there's a lot of people that are like demanding that like Doug Ford do the right thing or that Francois Legault do the right thing and it's like we we don't want Doug Ford doing what he thinks is the right thing it's gonna be bad (laughs) (laughs) exactly well look Nora I think uh that you know, this is not going to come as any surprise to any uh, longtime listener that people should really, you know, this is the time to flex, just flex uh, what you, your creativity and what you know to be correct. Like if, for example, say you are a part of a teacher's union, you're really nervous, you're part, uh, you're in Ontario, you're going back to school this week, or by the time you listen to this, you're going to be back in school, or maybe you're in Alberta and you've been back in school for a while and you're a bit nervous about it. Um, look, I, you know, maybe, maybe there is a way for um, folks to, through the teachers' union, organize a way to um, to make it safer in the classrooms outside of what the government is telling you to do. Whether that means figuring out a way on your own to figure out if you can uh, reduce class sizes or something like that, mm, you know, maybe think about doing it. If you're part of a faculty union, just maybe talk to the administration about fucking making it tuition free at this point. Like, I don't even know what people in the education sector are waiting for on that front. There is absolutely no reason why anyone should be paying tuition fees on a regular day, certainly not on a pandemic day when the education that you're getting isn't mm-hmm. the, the educators have not been provided with the tools that they need to make um, uh, virtual education as meaningful as it could be, as it should be, if it is going to be um, the primary mode of delivering education. Um, you know, if you are at a, uh, a workplace, like, geez, the kids out here in L.A. did a walkout recently because they don't have enough tools in their uh, classrooms, whether that's masks or rapid tests. And they're like, we're not doing this. So they walked out. They said, we need more. Um, I'm like looking around like unions. Um, mm-hmm. If now is not the time for the wildcat strike when so many people have died in the workplace, the workplace being the most dangerous place in the pandemic, the workplace, uh, places of incarceration, um, those and pl- long term care facilities, those places being um among the most dangerous during the pandemic, then when is the time for the wildcat strike? When is the time for the general strike? If it is not now when so many of your workers are perishing at the hands of an indifferent government that just simply refuses to do anything that doesn't directly um, benefit um, the wealthiest and the most powerful then when is it? I, I really, you know, I wonder, like, the time is now, <laughs> you know, like, uh, like, and I'm genuinely curious, like, what is stopping people from 
taking these sorts of actions because that is where the optimism should lie. That is where I, Nora's a pessimist. I'm an optimist. And my optimism <laughs> is, is truly connected to my activism. It's like, oh yeah, we can totally get rid of this thing. I believe it. And so here are all the ways that I'm going to approach it. Like I, I just wonder, you can reject a ridiculous Justin Trudeau style brand of optimism and uh, go for a whole other brand of optimism that is centered around the fact that you have power to change your own circumstance. Yeah. And one of the, like, I think really basic examples of this is when people are frustrated that contact tracing has broken down and it's like, yes, we should be frustrated about that. It's inappropriate. It's unacceptable. And I totally agree. But then everybody needs to figure out their own ways to contact trace, to look at the locations that you're in and talk to your colleagues, try to figure out in your kids' schools, who are the parents in your classes that you can share information with? And can you actually get everyone on board to help share information back and forth about who's got an exposure or who has a case or where a case is? Like we have to, we can't just imagine that the government is going to save us from this because if there's anything like more pathetic about than us hoping the government will do something right is us not doing anything and waiting <laughs> for the government to do something mm-hmm. right you know That's right. doing things ourselves is not accepting that the government's not going to do it it's us saying we cannot accept that the government is not doing it and therefore these are the the things that we're going to take uh, into our own hands. And, you know, you'll, you'll learn a lot from, from talking to your neighbors, from talking to your workplaces, like your, your colleagues or whatever. And, um, you know, of course, of course, I'm sure lots of people listening have done this, but just seeing the reaction, especially to the school stuff online, it's like, okay, now is the time to introduce yourself to all of your your kids' classmates and be like, can we come up with a phone tree? Can can we come up with a Facebook group? Can we come up with something? Uh, And you're not going to get 100% coverage, but you're going to get a lot of parents that are probably really feeling the exact same way that you are. And you can start, you know, self-organizing. I have a feature that's coming out or that has come out and you can read it in in Chatelaine about the the toll that the long-term care uh, system in Canada has taken on uh, essential caregivers. So the people like the family members who also provide care to their loved ones who are living within long-term care. And the, the, the backbone of the article is this relationship between these two, uh, these two women who both have, uh, loved ones in long-term care and how they have helped each other, like navigate the system and learn how to play the system and learn to fight for different things to get access for their loved one. It's not fair that they have to do this. It's not right. But when you do know how to actually like, you know, pull on the levers that you have like access to, you start to empower yourself. And rather than sitting like just in total desperation all the time, that desperation is also interspersed by you like writing complaints or organizing or doing something. And their relationship is made made possible by like a broader level of organizing among essential caregivers uh, around long-term care. Um, And there's examples of this all over the place. I, I, I feel like, you know, if you're really struggling right now and you don't have examples of this in your life, you, you need to look and, and, and see how to make that happen because it will help. It will help your community and yourself. It'll, and it'll help you feel rooted and connected and active in doing something that is helping yourself, your family, and your community. Yeah, I think that there is something really powerful in um, taking action on 
your own. And by on your own, I mean collectively, but, you know, outside of uh, the the purview of government or the people who are failing, the people who are supposed to be taking the action on our, on our behalf. There's something really powerful in that. And it also goes back to, harkens back to a time where, you know, we weren't uh, quite so reliant on um, these social media companies uh, to absorb all of our frustration. I mean, think about how this would have gone down if we weren't so reliant on um, social media to be the beast. You know, I would call up the people in my life to talk about my frustrations, and then maybe somebody would have suggested that we do something about it, and we would have done something about it. Now we just you know, yell it into the void on Twitter, get some likes and then and then move on. Like, but let's think about how we are actually part of communities and active part of communities or how we should be active parts of communities, because that in and of itself, being an active part of an, a, a community is something that is essential for our health as uh, beings that are like who depend on being social and so, um, you know, that I think it's a really interesting frame um, to, to think about this in terms of optimism and pessimism. And it is a really interesting point that you're making about um, the government having a hold on optimism, but we can create our own brand of optimism. We can, we can approach optimism in a different way. And if we have no other choice, and that's where we're at, folks, we kind of have no other choice. If we have no other choice, then let's just do what we can with one another. And uh, we can do more than just say, this fucking blows, Doug Ford should do the right thing. We all know that at this point, year three, wave five, we know that part. Mm -hmm. And throw Justin Trudeau into that too, because fuck, that guy's nowhere. Like he is literally nowhere. I don't know, Sandy, if you saw the big- He is nowhere- I don't know if you saw the big news from today, but they passed this law, like criminalizing, further criminalizing, uh, harassing doctors and other healthcare workers. And it's like that. Oh, man, they made it even more criminal than the last time they made it criminal. Super which, criminal. Where it was already criminal. Just, just Yo, incredibly criminal. Hardcore criminal. Totally criminal. Love it. Totally fucking unanimous decision. Like not as if the NDP has the depth of the fucking analysis to know why they should have voted against this, or the fucking ability to articulate that. But it's just like, this is what we got. This is what we fucking got. Like, this is the result of that and a new tax and a new tax for people who refuse to get vaccinated. <laughs> well, let's be let's be serious. That is not going to happen. <laughs> like, that's the funniest part <laughs> of that promise is it's a completely fucking made up promise like tax season all the tax information is already prepared for this tax season right so okay uh, uh that means that th that's not happening for a year and between now and a year from now is a fucking election <laughs> so yeah um yeah. it's like you know it's it's very dangerous that it's entered into the um, the public discussion as even a not unserious fucking thing but it's it's a complete fucking joke but we can't lose like we can't allow politicians manipulating us into um imagining this pandemic as flattened risk and i i see this happening all over and over and over and over and it's happened from the beginning and it's still still fucking happening and it's ha it like you know remember and we said this back in april 2020 and we've definitely said this since but when when all of the pressure uh, in Toronto was was put on planking the curb, planking the curb, my God, like this is how much I fucking love that term. <laughs> I guess you can plank the curb, but it would probably fucking hurt. Anyway, um, Jennifer Yang from the Toronto Star 
posted data a couple of months, uh, weeks, I guess, after like the planking the curve stuff was all going on in March 2020. And she showed that planking the curve only was successful for uh, white Torontonians and upper income Torontonians. So like both um, and at the same time. But you can take the data both ways and it was the same result. And we're still there, right? We're still in this world where white voices are are dominating the the, the discussion, the analysis, if you can even fucking call it analysis, and, and not just white people, but like white male doctors especially, and then doctors, and then just white commentators. And it's like we are not the fucking most at risk, folks. <laughs> like it makes me want to tear out my eyes. I'm so fucking annoyed to just see this like constant oh my god oh my god oh my god we're like we we're the most at risk with it's like can we have a class and a race and an and a, and a, and a disability analysis fucking please please if you look this is something that i wrote for substack um because i've just i've just run out of places that will publish me and it's not just me it's like there's just so few places to publish mainstream in canada um that i start my own substack and i i got data from the wsib in ontario the workers health place um workers health insurance board and uh, found that 107 death claims have been paid out related to covid caught on the job and it doesn't tell you much about who these people were, but we know a lot about some of them. We know a lot about the healthcare workers and how they were majority racialized, high, overwhelming majority racialized and majority black. And we know where the hotspots were in terms of where the, the, the most serious injuries and deaths uh, were happening. Um, but I'm just going to mention this because it's like, Again, when we're talking about things like closing school or um, putting in mitigation strategies within a community, when we allow the conversation to just blanket everything, we completely erase the fact that on you can have a community where one side is actually completely at risk and um, having severe outcomes and the other side of the community is completely safe. Um, and so 40 people died in the city of Toronto. Uh, because of a workplace-related COVID infection. Now, I can't compare that to other provinces because only BC has this data public, and I need to go through the processes of getting this fucking data. But we do know from public information that the next most deadly province is Alberta and Quebec. Um, and in Alberta, uh, there's a lot of deaths within, like, the tar sands and other, um, um, you know, and, and meatpacking facilities. Same with Quebec with the meatpacking facilities. Um, but 40 deaths, I mean, that's, that's higher than any other province, let alone, um, city. Uh, and they're followed by Peel at 26 deaths, York region at 11 deaths and Hamilton at five deaths. We can, we can see that there's, that there's a disproportionate impact and, and the kinds of work that these people are doing is also going to be disproportionate. It's not fucking doctors and lawyers in this. It's, it's poor working class people in precarious jobs. And I just feel like that has completely fallen off the radar, that there's really no collective attention being paid to this reality. Certainly not like there has been in other waves, like the third wave, like last spring in Canada and then in the summer in the other parts of Canada. Uh, it felt like there was a lot more attention on this. And I just think it's so fascinating that that is absent now that it's like the house is on fire. Look, I um, I also take your point around uh, where is Justin Trudeau. I would like to suggest uh, that Justin Trudeau should be a little bit more present than he is now, which is he's nowhere, and a little less present than he was when he was making an announcement every day to the country. <laughs> I would like... What, there's a... There's a a difference between those? There is like a big difference. There's, there is a gap. 
is a chasm. There is a Grand Canyon-sized chasm between those two <laughs> approaches. And I just think that uh, that we deserve something in between, some sort of approach that is, like, present but not annoying. You know what I mean? Like, <laughs> useful but not mm-hmm. uh, just a person who shows up and pretends to be useful. I just want something there that is going to be useful. And for all of you jurisdiction folks, like, we all know that they could be doing more than they're doing because uh, – they have done it before, and jurisdiction is a lie to further colonialism. <laughs> oh, man. Here we are, Nora. Here we are. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. Well, and, you know, it's, it's, it's also a really good moment to take stock of that media strategy of the daily press conference, right? That was a media strategy. That was not him managing a pandemic. That was a media strategy. And right now, the media strategy is to be the fuck quiet, and to only surface on Twitter to tell us all to get our boosters and to fucking, I'm not sure what, pray, I guess. Um, like, do nothing but hope that you won't get COVID. But I'm not Don't sure Don't ask did us see, any questions about uh, Melanie Ukraine. Jol- <laughs> it's probably the strategy there. <laughs> oh, my God. See, I was but literally I'm saying Melanie Jolie is going to be headed off to Ukraine and Russia to tell Russia to back off. Oh, whoa. We are on the same wave. <laughs> Look at that. And, and why are we on the same wave? Why are we on the same wave? Like, why is that so obvious? Oh, because we are fucking media literate. We know that there is something good. Yeah, we know that there's something the fuck else going on when this sort of weird, like, very, very loud silence is happening. It means that something else is going on, that they are content to let everybody just be mad at the provinces. Because, look, if this was like a regular time, if there wasn't this uh, kind of uh, this conflict situation happening in the Ukraine, um, fucking the the federal government would be all over blaming the provinces right now. But they're like, they're like, just nobody pay attention to us. Like, let's just not we'll be as quiet as possible. Remind some people to fucking get their shots and pretend that we have nothing to do with this uh, giant clusterfuck that is happening in this country. The silence, the silence, of course, has to do with um, Canada's, um, the loudest thing that uh, Canada is involved in right now, which is its foreign policy. (laughs) Kind of. I mean, it's, and that's the big joke, right? It's like, okay, so Andrew Coyne, like adds a Ukrainian flag to his fucking Twitter profile. Like, I didn't know he was Ukrainian. I suspect he's not. Uh, and this warmongering around Russia is so transparent. Like, we see what's happening. <laughs> and I, I don't know. Like, I th- obviously, they think they're going to be able to turn the, ch- to turn the channel so quickly and easily. Um, but I, I, I don't know. Like, we have to not let them. And we have to not let them march Canada to fucking war. Although having said that, I mean, I follow my hometown police uh, detachment on Twitter just, you know, because I like to see who's drink, drunk driving every week, uh, to be honest. And um, they were like congratulating some member of their force for fucking becoming a police trainer in Ukraine. So it's what? like there's so many <laughs> other things happening. Oh, my God. That it's like... I'm sorry, are, we're doing what? So we're not, we're not just there with military, but we're also there with police. And like this whole Nazi fucking question of how all the Nazis in the Ukrainian army, like that hasn't fucking really had proper airing in this country. It just seems like you can hear the federal government be like, man, we need more Michaels. We need more 
Michaels and can we get two Michaels uh, in Russia? Because that would really yeah. fucking help right yeah. now. More Michaels. Yeah, ab- absolutely. And gosh, Nora, it is just so frustrating that we do not have the sort of um, journalism in this country where we can get a good enough analysis on all of this that puts this into perspective for us. Um, you know, I have signed up for your Substacks. So I'm hoping to to get some good analysis from an excellent journalist. Although I haven't gotten a single one of your Substacks, so something is going on there. I hope we can fix that. I'm sorry, what? Okay, <laughs> uh, no, we'll fix that. We'll fix that. But it is it is really sure. bizarre um, that Canada, which is uh, such a um, important international player on all sorts of fronts, um, both this and even our, uh, the, the role that we played in the beginning of the pandemic, you know, like the role that we are supposed to play on, on a global, um, stage in, in managing in pandemic management and how we fucked that up and all of, all of that is just so awful that we have such poor reporting on Canada's foreign policy and, uh, uh, and ongoing um, activities overseas. Mm-hmm. Well, I mean, it's the first episode of the year. I don't know if you feel like making any predictions, but maybe that's how we should end this episode is what is in store in 2022? And I can go first, but I am going to see if you want to go first. Oh, uh, you know, someone asked me this once, and I don't know if this should be like part of what we publish. I don't know. This might be a little gauche, but <laughs> my, my big political pr- prediction is that uh, Biden is going to die. Oh, I mean, obvious. Like, he's not dead already? Um, <laughs> <laughs> That's like saying the queen's going to die. You know, I'm... <laughs> I mean, she's not, okay? There's a prediction from me, okay? The queen lives another year. Um, <laughs> she, I don't know what they're pumping her full of, but I don't know. I, that woman don't want to die. So <laughs> that, I, I mean, we're, we're laughing here. We're obviously being... Um, Anti-queen. A little... Um, I'm 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 uh, anti monarchy, so I'm I'm good with these jokes. Yeah, but I'm I'm just saying that 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 is one of my major political predictions, and I think it is gonna throw the United States into um, like this. You know, it's already the United States is headed towards like clearly headed towards some sort of ridiculous collapse. This sort of um, power struggle over the elections and like how they are going to count the elections this doesn't end any 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 way but badly there's nothing that is going to happen that is going to be anything other than bad giving what i'm saying and then canada i think is going to shit the bed when all of that happens i don't know that canada is prepared um to uh to engage uh, in the way that it will need to engage um, when um, things start to fall apart down south. I mean, you know, like it's going to have impacts that are going to, you know, impact things like, you know, the inflation that's going on right now, like all of the trade that we engage in with the United States and then um, throughout the world. Like it's going to have some pretty major 
uh, consequences. And I don't know that anybody cares to plan any sort of contingency or anything like that around it. So that that is my fear for this year. Um, I hope that this is the year my predictions are wrong, not because I like desperately want Biden to win. I just want less suffering in general. <laughs> Biden to, to win. Biden to live is what I meant to say. <laughs> like, my, my investment is in less suffering. <laughs> right. And, you know, winning and living are synonymous, right? <laughs> I mean, maybe. <laughs> uh, <laughs> okay, yeah, yeah. Um, so my, my um, I think you're right. And you know what? I, I, feel like, I feel like before you and I started talking about this whole conundrum of Canada in the fall of the United States, like no one else in Canada was really talking about this publicly. And the, I mean, sorry if you were and if you've got something for me to listen to, send it my way. But there has been in the last two weeks an interesting um, set of editorials and national newspapers and op-eds that do try to consider this. They're all terrible. They're all amazing to show like how completely out to lunch the ruling class really is. But um, I, I think you're right that this is going to become more and more central to conversations within this country. And there will be interesting pressures placed on Canada that um, – that will be new. That will be completely, I think, unlike, you know, anything that we've seen before in terms of Canada-U.S. relations, at least in, you know, the last hundred years. My prediction is that we get out of this pandemic. <laughs> oh, man. That's, I'm going to fucking stay with no that. No way. <laughs> You're really going to make yeah, that prediction? I'm going to fucking just do it. You're going to make that prediction? I was okay with being... You're that confident? Yeah, yeah, I was okay with being wrong about the last one. Okay, but do, but do you actually believe that? I think I do. I mean, I you know, I, we saw what the summer looked like in 2021 and it was not normal, but it was it was livable, you know? Like it was not what we're experiencing now. <laughs> and I think that in 2022 it'll only get better, but we have to get through the the worst of it, obviously. But this is a complete fucking guess. I mean, this is why my political um, predictions are airtight and my fucking dreaming of pandemic p predictions are, uh, you know, the dreams. Well, look, if that happens, Sandy and Nora tour 2022. OK, let it let us visit the people. <laughs> <laughs> let us get out there, out into the world and do some live shows. I feel less confident about that prediction, but I'm not going to make any more predictions about uh, the, the pandemic. I'm over yeah. it. I'm just as over it as one who's currently going through it can be. <laughs> well, yeah. And, and you know what? I, I feel like if we have a summer, if everything is the exact same as it was last year in terms of like there's still cases and there's still COVID and we're still dealing with it, we're still in a pandemic, I still feel like we've got enough knowledge to be able to do some of that kind of live stuff. And so I, I am, I do feel pretty confident, actually. I feel like, I feel like the people will be ready. Well, I hope you're right. <laughs> we'll see. I'm okay with being wrong.